Coogan Cassius, IFL TV, here with Tyson Fury. You alright? You okay? Big dog's happy. What? Big dog's happy. Absolutely. Um, what did you make of that press conference? As someone who didn't really want to say a lot, he had a lot to say in the end, Deontay Yeah, Wilder. I'd, I'd drawn him into it, didn't I? I started off nice and steady, and he wasn't coming here to talk today. He got in a little bit nice at the beginning and switched it up on him and got it heated and made him so he didn't know what he was doing, didn't know what he was going to do. And then at the end off, he was going to do a face-off and he ran away. So it's like, welcome to my world, bitch. Bob Arum and Frank Warren were literally screaming for that face-off not to take place. Why? I don't know. I thought Frank might have said to you why. Yeah, because Frank Warren was thinking I was going to chin him. I wouldn't have chinned him. I'd have just nutted the con. Like that. He said in that press conference that you don't carry any power. You don't well, I knocked any... him out, so he's <laughs> obviously deluded, isn't he? On, on countless times, you tried to ask Jay Diaz to come up and kind of yeah, explain yeah, 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 yeah. him being in the dressing room, but you didn't kind of get the response or answers that you wanted? They can't answer me. JD has was smiling under his mask. He can't answer because it's all it's all rubbish, all lies. And that's it, but it's all unimportant anyway. Because on the uh, on the fight night on Saturday, he's gonna get found out again. And like he said, he's all about legacy. Well, his legacy's in bits. Ooh, yeah. His legacy's in pieces. Um, yeah, he's been battered by me twice and he's gonna get done in again for a third time. So he has got no legacy. He's living in the past. His feet are past the line. Oh, well. Sorry, Sugar. We got it. We were got you, him. Were you listening to Malik Scott of how he feels he's improved? Deontay Wilder? I don't, I don't get it because I only won because I cheated. But then he's done all this improving and extra training to make sure he wins the second fight. Because, Well, if I only win because I cheated, if you stop me from cheating, then you should be all right, right? It's not rocket science, is it? It's just adding one and one together and getting two. So, yeah, obviously it's all... It's all mentally screw loose in here. Listen, I know we'll push your time, so yep. what, what is your cutthroat prediction for Saturday night? Cutthroat prediction, Gypsy King uh, keeps going. The rain continues. Tyson, thank you very much. Thank you.
This is Andy Perawal for Boxing Social in association with Betfred and I'm joined by WBC President Mauricio Suleiman here in Fury Wilder Free Media Centre. Mauricio, first and foremost, how are you? I'm doing very well. I'm very excited, very happy uh, to be back in such an uh, unbelievable event that we're going to have this week. But everyone always says you can't beat a big heavyweight fight. Just how big is Tyson Fury versus Deontay Wilder for you, Mauricio? Well, the second fight was the last huge event worldwide before the pandemic. Uh, the first fight, it was a draw. The second fight, Fury knocked them out. Now it's the third fight and uh, they both really want it. The whole world is watching and it, it should be a sensational fight. 
Rich, I do want to get your thoughts on today's press conference. Um, Deontay Wilder, throughout the entire pandemic, since his defeat, has continued to allege that Tyson Fury cheated in the second fight. What's your take on his comments? I, I'm not sure. I don't know. I don't know how to to look into it. I'd rather talk about different things rather than the negative. Uh, Wilder lost his title, lost his undefeated uh, status, his five years as champion. So it was a very difficult time and uh, then the pandemic. So I'm not sure. I just uh, prefer to look forward to the great fight. So you mentioned looking forward towards that a great fight then, Mauricio. What do you expect to see on Saturday night? I'm, I'm anxious to see. <laughs> uh, we don't know. It's Everything is uncertain. They've been out of the ring for 20 months, both of them. Uh, there has been some uh, the COVID infection, uh, mental health, and how they have handled uh, their life, uh, family problems. So I think uh, they're both very well trained and very much eager to get into the ring. And it should be a sensational fight. Richard, who do you think will have benefited more from the time between the second fight and up until Saturday? Obviously, Deontay's working with Malik Scott now. Tyson's been away with Sugar Hill. He's had a couple of problems with COVID. Uh, unfortunately, his, his newly born daughter went into hospital. Now she's obviously out and thankfully healthy. But who do you think would have benefited from this extra time? Uh, it, it, it depends. Uh, they both are mature uh, professionals that they already have the experience. So... Being outside of the ring, it's uh, basically uh, just the mechanics. I think they have the experience, the will, the preparation to both be in great uh, shape to be in there in the ring and, and win the fight. Richard, you've also announced today that the winner of this fight will have to face the winner of Otto Valin, or Dillian White versus Otto Valin. Um, talk to me about that and how you came to that decision to, to mandate the winner of these two fights to, to face off. The WBC has reviewed uh, the heavyweight division. Uh, this fight, the first one, took uh, place in February 2020. Uh, Dylan White uh, was the mandatory contender. Unfortunately, he was knocked out uh, by, by uh, Povetkin. Then they had a rematch. Um, and then this fight was going to be... There was uh, anticipation that uh, Fury was going to fight Joshua. Then the legal uh, situation, now we have this fight, which was postponed. And uh, we decided we were giving uh, 30 days, one month, to the winner of the fight. If he can land the ultimate unification for the undisputed, uh, the WEC will allow that. If not, then they have to fight the interim champion. I do want to touch on that because um, Anthony Joshua has has said he will face Alexander Usyk in a rematch next. He has a rematch clause in place. So with that in mind, most likely, do you expect to see um, Dillian White face, or Dillian White or Atavalim rather, face the winner of Saturday night's fight? We will see. That's, that's a ruling. It's out there and we'll see what happens. Just moving away from this and onto another fight which is on the horizon, Canelo Caleb plan an undisputed bout at 168 this time. How excited are you for that one, Mauricio? That's a great fight, uh, Canelo putting his mind that he wanted to be undisputed in the super middleweight and this is the last chapter so the winner of uh, November 6 will be the undisputed super middleweight champion and it should be a sensational match. Uh, Caleb Plant, uh, he's strong, undefeated and he can bring a great fight to the table.
We saw a very heated face-off, to say the least, a few weeks ago. What was your take on the events that unfolded on that day? Well, uh, it was very dangerous. Uh, fighters cannot be left uh, alone in a, in a stage. And um, when you do a face-off, when two fighters have such a rivalry, it's very dangerous. When you obviously saw the cut underneath Caleb's eye, did you have any concerns that the fight might have to be pushed back? Um, it they was immediately reported that it was more or less a scratch from the glasses, uh, but uh, that's exactly what could happen. Such an irresponsible matter could, could have finished uh, that event. Moving forward once again, Mauricio. Um, I just wanted to get your take on the entire Tifima Lopez and George Cambosos Jr. situation. The fight will now be held by Eddie Hearn and Matt Troom. But going back through this entire period, the negotiations for that fight, with Tifima holding the franchise title, uh, the WBC franchise title, what was your take on the entire events that have surrounded that fight up until this point? Well, uh, we, we were always uh, attentive. Uh, we had uh, prepared when it was time to the the supervisors and we were in communications but now the fight uh, is off uh, from from thriller and now it's on with a uh, it's a mandatory defense of the IBF we have been uh, supportive and we have been uh, respectful and uh, just uh, following the steps that they have been taken does it raise any further concerns for you with regards to working with new promoters? Obviously, you know, the fights ending up with Eddie and Matchroom now, they're very well established and they're very well thought of in the boxing world. Triller, new on the block, just trying to kind of make their way through. Does it raise any concerns with them moving forwards because they haven't been able to put the fight on? Well, uh, it's a huge statement. Uh, I am not uh, familiar with any of the details. Uh, what I have seen uh, from this uh, company, they did uh, Mike Tyson's uh, exhibition with Roy Jones. Then they did uh, a few shows with uh, Logan uh, Paul and Jake Paul and, and the Holyfield horrible situation that we all saw. I hope they uh, turn to the right uh, administration of boxing because boxing is not a game. I want to stick with the £135 division, Mauricio. Um, obviously, WBC ordered Ryan Garcia versus Jojo Diaz. Just want to get the latest with that fight, if you have any update for us. I believe they are very close to reaching an agreement, and we're just waiting for the specific details. Now, to further kind of press you on that, obviously, um, Ryan holds the interim title. Um, Jojo. No, sorry, Jojo holds the interim title. Ryan was the mandatory for Devin. So why did you decide to make a fight between a pair of them to make another mandatory situation to Devin Haney? Uh, Ryan Garcia was the interim champion and he suffered mental uh, breakdown. He has been in communication with the WBC. We immediately communicated that we will support him, that we were in his corner. So the interim title was fought between Fortuna and Jojo because things that have been carried on from the past. And when Ryan Garcia notified that he's ready to, to return, with the WC complied with its promise to him and ordered him to fight Jojo for the title that he had. So moving on once again, um, I just want to get your thoughts uh, on the entire Oscar Valdez situation, Maurizio. Um, obviously on the back of him testing positive for fentamine, um, he was still allowed to defend his title. 
I just want you to get your understanding on that entire situation and why you allowed him to do so. Every time there is a situation with an anti-doping result, uh, when the WEC is notified, we perform a thorough protocol. And every single case is different. So the WEC did the same. Uh, we analyzed uh, thoroughly what substance it was, the levels, when, how, what surrounded this situation. And the fact is that fentermine uh, is not a performance enhancing uh, drug. It is not of any danger. Uh, it, is, it was found a month before. There was a, another test which came negative. Uh, we had a thorough uh, investigation with the fighter and his team. And uh, USA authorities had given permission for the fight to proceed. So to put it in perspective, it's a minor violation uh, and we took attention into it. Uh, Valdez is going to have and he's already enrolled in a specific testing protocol for the next six months. He's in probation for a year and he's going to have to uh, perform a certification on certain areas and then do social responsibility work by doing at least six performances in front of gymnasiums, kids or boxing groups to teach them about uh, hydration, about weight management, about substances, and everything that has to do with uh, the concerns of the safety in the sport. Okay, um, to continue just to kind of ask you a few more questions around that entire topic, the WBC obviously invested in the clean boxing program as it is seen as a, a worthwhile to protect the sport and its fighters from doping. The WBC uses VADA for the CBP as it is perceived to be the gold standard of, of drug testing. So why, when Oscar Valdez did test positive for the banned substance in and out of competition under VADA, did the WBC allow him to keep his title? Because I just explained, it was not a major uh, offence. And uh, we did respect VADA, so it was a, a fault that uh, Valdez, because it was a positive testing, and we just uh, went through the protocol. Uh, so you can understand, uh, whenever there's a positive, we can make any sort of uh, adjudication. It could be a warning, it could be a penalty, it could be a suspension, it could be withdrawing the title, it could be many things. This specific case, Fentermine, we did uh, what, I, what I explained, we awarded those penalties to Valdez. So we did attend to VADA. Uh, clean boxing program protocol. The WPC also stated that should Oscar Valdez test positive for any substance, including fentamine again, he would then be stripped of his title. So why would he have to test positive for a second substance or for fentamine again instead of having that issue taken upon first time around? <laughs> I don't understand. Okay, it so is, it's obvious. I said it twice already. It was a minor offense. No, so, uh, but what I'm asking is, so, sorry. It was a minor offense, and we have put him in probation. If he has a failure of any substance, including fentermine, then it's a second offense, and then it's when we act in a thorough manner. Well, that, that was my question. So, obviously, with it being in mind, say if he had a second offense, why would it take for him to have a second offense for uh, a punishment to come into place? I know you're saying it's because it's a minor, a, a minor issue this time around, but does it have not you, concern have you, you? Have you ever been 
in a school and they give you a report, yeah. what happens when you get the second report? Maybe you get thrown out of the school or you get thrown out for a week or there's additional penalties. This is the first penalty. If he happens to do something again, then it's a full, full stick. Um, just a final one on it all, uh, Mauricio. Uh, team Valdez initially claimed that the fentanyl was consumed in a green tea. After uh, later on, he claimed that he had no idea where the fentanyl had come from. So, what did the WBC accept as the reason why it ended up in his system? The fighter is ultimately responsible for whatever is found in his system. So there is no excuse. Uh, it could have been what Valdez has uh, told the WBC and the panel which uh, interviewed him is that he had not uh, taken any other supplements differently from other previous camps other than that tea uh, that he has sent to a lab to be examined. So we are not contesting. As I said, he was found with a penalty that he did of a fentermine uh, positive and we addressed it and had that penalty given. Mauricio, I appreciate your time. We'll leave there now because I know you've got to shoot off. You've got people waiting let for me, you. Let me just start. Okay. If you go into a store and you get a candy chocolate and you put it in your pocket and you leave the store, what is that? Stealing. Stealing. If you go into a bank with a machine gun and you steal and you take a million pounds with uh, heavy aggression, what is that? Stealing. Stealing. Do you think both deserve the same uh, penalty? No. That's exactly uh, how I can explain the fentermine against a different substance of great danger. Mauricio, I appreciate your explanations. We will leave there now because I know you've got people waiting to go out with you. I assume you're going to get something to eat now. So he's getting late, but I appreciate your time. Thank you for speaking to me and Boxing Social. Thank you so very much. And uh, my best regards to the best fans in the world. And Rob, I hope you're doing well, my friend. And the best fans here in the UK. You are unbelievable. Thank you for giving Boxing such a great special moments. Mauricio, thank you. Thank you very much. Deontay Wilder looking like Sauron from Lord of the Rings again, wearing another ridiculous looking costume. In fact, this might be the most ridiculous one yet because I swear the previous one didn't have all these what looked like lasers shooting out of it. <laughs> so he's looking like Sauron from Lord of the Rings or a Decepticon or something, but they're apparently making sure that this one doesn't weigh as much as the previous one, so he won't be able to use this as an excuse if he gets smashed to pieces again. Now, why he wants to wear these ridiculous outfits, I will never know, but there you go. He obviously thinks it's important. Maybe it's some kind of spiritual reason significant to him in that way. I know he's into a lot of African ancestry and what have you. But this is not going to help him against Tyson Fury. <laughs> the first costume didn't help him. It certainly didn't scare Fury or create an atmosphere that was conducive to Deontay Wilder winning. In fact, that was his worst night in a boxing ring, wasn't it? In the Tyson Fury rematch. So however much this particular costume weighs, 
I don't think it's going to have the effect that Deontay Wilder wants it to have. I can only imagine he wants it to have some kind of effect. Is it all just show business? Is it all just to impress and entertain the crowd? Or is he actually thinking that this is going to help him in some way? Either by intimidating the opponent, either by galvanizing his own spirit. What is it that he's hoping to get out of this? I don't know. Looks ridiculous. Let me know what you guys think in the comments below. Do you think that despite this costume apparently weighing a lot less than the previous costume, he'll still try and use it as an excuse if he gets defeated in a similar manner? Nothing would surprise me about Deontay Wilder at this stage because he's so out there. He's so detached from reality that nothing can be ruled out at this point in terms of contradicting himself in terms of hypocrisy, in terms of psychosis. Let's go there. <laughs> Nothing could be ruled out with this guy. So maybe he'll come up with some claim after the fight if he gets smashed to bits again that the person that put his costume together this time was in on a plot against him and something was done. I don't know, maybe one of the lasers burned his skin and it distracted him the whole fight. Some crazy nonsense like that. You know, they say, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Deontay clearly thinks that not much is broke because here he is back in the same costume with the same mindset or a very similar mindset as he had in the second fight. That he's this destroyer and everybody's scared of him and all this kind of nonsense. And even coming into the ring with a very similar costume, even if it's not exactly the same, maybe it weighs less, it's a very similar costume. So you don't want to change a bunch of things. And to some degree, from a psychological standpoint, that can be a good thing. If a fighter wants to change too much, that can be a sign that he's scared. Sometimes a fighter doesn't need to change loads of different things. They just need to tweak little things. Like, for example, Dylan White going into the Povetkin fight. He said that he didn't need to change loads of stuff. Doesn't need to overhaul his whole camp. Just tiny little things he needs to tweak. Tiny little mistakes he needs to not repeat. And he'll be good for the rematch. With Deontay Wilder, it wasn't like Dylan White against Povetkin, who was winning and he just got caught. No, with Deontay Wilder, he got beat from pillar to post from the opening bell by Tyson Fury in that rematch. Nothing went right. So in a situation like that, you got a lot to change. Deontay Wilder, he's been doing all that work with Malik Scott. Will it be enough? Does he need to change, he, does he need to change his psychological approach more? He's still telling himself that Tyson Fury cheated. It's bizarre watching his training videos where he's saying he cheated. He cheated. He's not that good. He cheated. And all this nonsense. Tyson Fury, by the way, is playing on that. And I'll come to that in a separate video. Let me know what you guys think about this particular video. If you haven't seen it, what channel is it on here? It's on The Mac Life. Big channel. 1.17 million subscribers. So go check out Deontay Wilder trying on his uh, Sauron slash Decepticon outfit. Let me know what you guys think about it in the comments below. There's been some suggestion by Eddie Hearn and also Team Wilder that Tyson Fury hasn't had the best camp for this Deontay Wilder trilogy fight. Now, of course, it was initially postponed. Deontay Wilder and his team don't believe the reason for the postponement. Uh, Tyson Fury's also had this issue with his youngest child being ill in hospital and stuff like that. There's been rumors of him having issues in training with uh, Jared Anderson. So, you know, th there are lots of things flying around on the grapevine which are leading people to believe that Tyson Fury isn't 
in an ideal situation right now in terms of preparation. Be that as it may, Javon Sugarhill, his trainer, has suggested that Tyson Fury could weigh as much as 20 pounds more for this Deontay Wilder trilogy fight as he was for the second fight. Now, in the second fight, he was, what, 270 pounds, there or thereabouts? 20 pounds more would mean he's coming in in the 290s. Now, I thought that in the 270s, it was too heavy because I expected Tyson Fury to move around the ring. I did not expect him to be on the front foot, pushing Deontay Wilder back behind the jab and getting very physical. I personally thought that that type of style would be suicidal against Wilder. How wrong I was. Now, it wasn't just the style, but it was also the weight. I thought that at that kind of weight, he's not going to have the foot speed, he's not going to have the reflexes to be able to get away from Deontay Wilder's fast right hands. But again, he kept Wilder on the back foot to such a degree that Wilder wasn't able to get much purchase on his right hands most of the time. He wasn't able to get momentum, wasn't able to get his weight forward to really throw the right hands with the kind of uh, velocity and leverage that he would normally get on him. So he was able to nullify the right hand for the most part. There was a few that whistled by his chin in the first couple rounds, but after that, he had the guy backpedaling and therefore nullified the right hand. Coming in an additional 20 pounds heavier than what he was in the rematch, is this a good idea? Again, it was a good idea second time, but surely there'll come a point where he gains so much weight that it actually starts to become detrimental. What point is that? Is it 280, 290, 300, 310? At what point does Tyson Fury become too heavy to perform to his best? That's the question I'm asking. And is it also possible that if he does come in at 290, that's not the result of strategic uh, planning, you know, coming in heavy for a specific purpose, uh, or perhaps even not the result of what his trainer Javon Sugar Hill is saying, and which is that he's packed on extra muscle. What if it's actually a result of a poor camp? What if it's actually a result of Tyson Fury going back into his old ways? Now, I'm not saying that it is. I'm just throwing possibilities out there because, again, at what stage does Tyson Fury have to get to or, or what weight does he have to reach before he's actually too heavy to perform to his best? And, again, a lot of it depends on the strategy that you're going for. Uh, if you want to be on the front foot, then you know, being heavy is not going to hurt you as much as if you're going to be trying to move around. Anyway, let me know what you guys think in the comments below. What is Tyson Fury's optimum weight? Will he really come in at 290 pounds? And if so, will it benefit him or will it be to his detriment? Let me know. Deontay Wilder is still muttering to himself in training footage that Tyson Fury isn't good and that he's a cheater and all this kind of stuff, which his own co-manager, Shelly Finkel, won't even endorse. And many other people in his team have distanced themselves from his comments because his comments are ridiculous. There's no substance to them, to these claims. But Tyson Fury is starting to play on Deontay Wilder's paranoia, on Deontay Wilder's delusion by coming out and making sarcastic comments like this. He says, I'm going to cheat again because I'm going to smash Wilder's face in. He said, quote, we boxed 19 rounds and he's practically won two rounds out of 19. With Wilder, in my opinion, 
He's come out with all this stuff saying I've cheated. Whether he believes it or not is another thing, but he has to try and sell the fight somehow. He has to try and make a reason why he could win. So he clearly couldn't do the reasons why in a boxing fight. So he has to make other reasons for his own self, for the people around him who are saying he can do this, he can do that. If he went into this fight saying, you know what, I got absolutely annihilated the second time, it's probably going to happen to me again, this mental attitude would definitely be of a loss straight away. But he's convinced himself that there's been some skullduggery going on. Maybe he thinks in his own mind he has got a better chance or something. You know what? I'm going to cheat again because I'm going to smash his face in. According to him, that's cheating because he's not supposed to lose. Unfortunately, I'm going to cheat again. I'm going to kick his behind. So these are the words of Tyson Fury. Now, of course, the dangerously low IQ, emotionally unstable, psychotic Deontay Wilder fanboys are going to jump on this and say, see, Tyson Fury is basically admitting he cheated last time and he's admitting beforehand that he's going to cheat again this time. So they're preparing their excuses already well in advance. They do not understand the concept of sarcasm. They do not understand what Tyson Fury is saying here. What Tyson Fury is saying is he won clean the first time around. Or should I say the second time around in the rematch? He stopped Deontay Wilder with no funny business, with no skullduggery. But Deontay still calls him a cheater. So he's going to repeat that and win again without any skullduggery. And therefore, Deontay might as well call him a cheater from now. Because Deontay seems to interpret a guy winning fair and square as cheating. This is what Tyson Fury is saying. Again, it's a bit too sophisticated. It's not very sophisticated at all. But for the Deontay Wilder fanboys who are of dangerously low IQ, to them, this is extremely highbrow and sophisticated. <laughs> That's why it's way over their heads, you see? So let me know what you guys think in the comments below. And the psychological effect that something like this could have on Deontay, you know, Tyson Fury coming out and making these comments, is that Deontay could be paranoid during the fight. Tyson's got something in his gloves again. Why is he so strong? Why do I feel so weak? Why is he able to push me back? How come my right hand's not having the same effect I wanted it to have? All this kind of stuff. Once he goes into mental meltdown, it's only a matter of time before Tyson Fury gets him out of there again, if he can put him in, if he can put him, excuse me, into that situation in his mind. This is the danger. Now, it's a double-edged sword because Deontay's delusion will actually give him some spirit. It will actually give him some hope. It will actually give him some confidence. And you need confidence going in there against the guy who smashed you to pieces last time out. But once the delusion starts getting broken down again with the reality of what's happening in this trilogy fight, if Tyson Fury starts getting on top of him and hurting him, pushing him back, and it's a repeat of what happened last time, then all of a sudden, Deontay's going to go into mental meltdown. All kind of paranoia, clutching at straws psychologically. What's he going to do in that scenario there? Will he cheat himself? Because he already used all the excuses in the book last time. He should have provisions in place this time, right? Extra people to check hand wraps. I think he's even hired Berman Stavern's former trainer 
Don House because he believes he's some kind of expert in checking hand wraps or whatever the case may be. So he's brought him in. With all the new provisions that Deontay Wilder has, surely he can't still come out with excuses again. Therefore, he might be even more desperate in this fight. And desperate men do desperate things. If he's convinced in his own mind or wants to believe in his own mind that Tyson Fury's cheating and Fury's on top of him, maybe Deontay Wilder would do something crazy. Hit Tyson Fury in the back of the head. Hit him low. Headbutt him. Do whatever he feels like he needs to do because, again, he's convinced himself that Tyson Fury's cheating somehow. I'm not saying this is going to happen. I'm just saying desperate men do desperate things. So you have to watch out for these kind of things. Let me know what you guys think in the comments below about Tyson Fury saying, I'm going to cheat again because I'm going to smash Wilder's face in. How will the Deontay Wilder fanboys take this? Maybe they're already making videos about it. Maybe they're already preparing their excuses and what have you. Let me know what you guys think in the comments below. This is Andy Purawal for Boxing Social in association with Betfred and I'm delighted to join my promoter Bob Aram once again here in Las Vegas. Bob, you've seen more of, it, more of me than your family at the minute. How are you doing? What did you make of today's press conference? Well, I think the press conference, it ended up well. I mean, you know, they can say anything they want to each other, as abusive as it may be. It's just words. So no harm, no foul. But once that happened, you don't have them pose together with a stupid stare down, uh, with no security. All you're doing is looking for trouble. And the producer of this uh, event uh, agreed that there would be no, uh, no, no, no stare down. No. And, you know, and then of course, he reneged, you know, and told the uh, talent to get him to do a stare down. And that's when I went crazy, because it would have jeopardized the whole event. How come in the first place, then, a face-off wasn't agreed beforehand? No. That contrary. We, we have a co-promoter, PBC, and we met with them, and they advocated the same way we did, no stare down. No, both of us. And we both informed the producer as the co-promoters of the fight, no stare down. And the producer agreed. And then like a wise guy because he wanted to do something special that would play all over the world, you know, particularly if he got some violence between the two fighters, he told the talent in her ear, you know, in her earpiece, to get them to do a stare down. So that was wrong, but we, yes, we had handled that, or we thought we did, before the, the event. So how come you didn't want a face-off today, or just, not just yourself, but obviously PBC, why did you come to that agreement not to see a face-off today? That's even before the abusive language they used to each other, we said no face-off. And the reason for that is, there's a high degree of tension between the two fighters. And to have a face-off is just looking for trouble. And then 
when the fighters talked the way they did to each other, which, you know, it's words, no harm, they could say anything they want. Uh, then to do a face-off is insanity. Particularly, do you see one security guard on stage? Right. And the reason we didn't put any security guards on stage as the promoted is because Fox agreed no stare down. Bob, with the press conference itself, um, up until the final words, it, uh, it was very kind of relaxed and chilled. And then we saw it kind of come to life a little bit. Do you think Tyson got underneath the skin of Deontay Wilder with his final words? I think they're two professionals. I think they each know what they have to do. And that's what they're going to bring to the fight. All this psychology is just babble. Just babble. I don't think it means anything. Not when you're dealing with two really experienced fighters. Deontay stuck to his kind of his, his voice and his opinion that Tyson had cheated previously. Was it a surprise to you to have seen that back and forth brought up today? Well, you know, I don't know who's advising uh, Wilder because it's absurd. Now, one thing, you know, Tyson is a very smart guy. And he said, look, if he wanted to make an excuse and blame me or blame somebody else, pick one thing and say it. And then say, maybe it happened, maybe it didn't. If you pick six unrelated things and say, who's going to believe you? The referee was drunk. My corner man drugged my water. Uh, uh, Tyson put rocks in his gloves. I mean, nonsense things. You know, if, if it's one thing and it's nonsense, that's a matter of opinion. But if it's six incredible things... Who's going to believe you? Edging ever closer towards fight night, Bob, especially on the back of today's press conference, how much more excited does it make you for this trilogy bout on Saturday night? Well, I'm very excited. It doesn't make me more or less excited. I think it's going to be a very tense moment uh, until the bell rings, and then each guy is going to do what he has to do, and I like uh, Tyson's chances, and we'll see. You know, again, I've, I, I, I haven't been doing this just a couple of years. I've been doing it since the 1960s. And uh, uh, so I've, I've seen all of this, fights with a lot of tension building up. And, uh, you know, we'll, I think we'll see a good fight. And then we'll all go someplace and have a drink afterwards. Just mentioning how long you've been involved there, there, Bob, it's just got me thinking. Tyson yesterday said he looks at these current crop of heavyweights and none of them can compete with him. And the question was put to him, does he feel like he would have been better suited to a past era of heavyweights, a more competitive one? Do you feel that Tyson would have been better suited to a, 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 an earlier era of boxers, maybe the, the Ali era, for example? Well, certainly we had, I think, more skilled fighters during the Ali era. I mean, the, the number was just extraordinary. You know, I, you just, in addition to Ali, you had Fraser and uh, uh, Terrell and Quarry and, uh, I mean, on and on, Norton, on and on and on, Henry Cooper. But Tyson would have competed well in that era. 
because fighters in that era would not have seen a talented heavyweight of that size. You know, he, Tyson is extraordinary because of how big he is and how well he boxes. That is unusual. We had big fighters before, like Primo Canero, I think it was just 6'5", but he was big for the time. Uh, and there was this a Russian guy, Valoev, was seven foot. Uh, and, but they couldn't move. They, they had no footwork or nothing. Uh, certainly not anywhere near the footwork that Ali had. Uh, but he does. He does. Tyson is a great boxer, and I've never seen as good a boxer anybody his size. I mean, Klitschko was close to his size, but Klitschko couldn't move neither Klitschko, like uh, Fury. Um, final thing, Bob, before I let you go, we've obviously seen today Matchroom have picked up that Teofimo Lopez-George-Cambosos fight. I know you'd have liked to promote being uh, Teofimo's promoter, but how much of a relief is it to know that that fight can actually go ahead now and beyond that you can start planning uh, Teofimo's future for what I imagine has been a frustrating year for everybody involved? It's been a terrible year, uh, you know, but it's, it's now over. The fight's in the hands of Eddie Hearns. Eddie is a very good promoter, so I'm uh, uh, sure that that fight will happen. That will happen expeditiously. And I told Eddie today, I talked to him, that I wished him luck on the fight and told him that we would cooperate with him in the sense of providing him footage from prior uh, Lopez's fights. Bob, I appreciate your time. I know somebody else is waiting to speak to you. Thank you, and I'm sure I'll speak to you again later this week. My pleasure. Hey, Fight fans, it's Michelle Joy Phelps, and I'm joined now with Sugar Hill. What did you just make of the entire press conference right now? What's, what's your overall reaction to everything? Uh, I don't really get excited or have reactions to anything like that. I just watch. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't see anything um, anything, well, anything that I would tell everybody else. But, yeah, <laughs> uh, nothing really to see. Uh, two fighters before the fight talking and getting heated, getting in fight mode. And, uh, actually, I'm just ready for Saturday night. I'm really interested to see uh, what they've been working on mm -hmm. and uh, to see it happen in the ring. I want to see what they have. Uh, I want to get a taste of it, you know, and uh, yeah, it brings out the best Tyson. That's all I can say. Do you think that Tyson, I know a lot of people believe that Deontay is a bit emotional going into this fight. Do you, seeing what you saw on, or on the stage, uh, can you not record this please? Um, seeing what you saw on stage, you know, what did you, what did you ex think of that? Uh, just a regular routine with fighters. I mean, either you're going to get talking or you're not going to get talking. So at first it started off with no talking and then it ended with talking. So you got a little bit of both. Mm -hmm. Everybody should be really happy. Mm -hmm. I know. Uh, Bob Arum actually stepped in, obviously, not wanting to allow a face-off. Uh, did, did you agree with that in that moment? Did you think that was a good idea? Uh, would have been, no. <laughs> I mean, it could have... It, it, it looked it was, like he wanted it. It was under control. Yeah. It wasn't. Those two guys, they know exactly what's uh, what's at risk and everything, and they want to get it on Saturday night. 
and I don't think either one of them was uh, uh, was going to do anything to jeopardize uh, Saturday night. Uh, period. They're both professionals, um, and that's that's pretty much it. Tyson Fury brought up the fact that JDs was obviously standing off off to the side on the stage, um, being that he was such a part of you know the hand wrapping and everything that was going on, and the accusations were made. Were you also surprised to see that he's still a part of his camp, given um, all the accusations that were flying around? Uh, not exactly, and uh, it's no particular reason. Mm -hmm. uh, that's his. Uh, that's his manager. And uh, yeah, I don't think he could not make him a part of the team, if that's to be fair, uh, to answer anybody's question. If that's his manager, he, you know, how are you going to get rid of your manager? Shelly Finkel was the manager. Oh, JD's has been, I believe, if I'm correct, I could be wrong, but I believe JD's was his manager. You know, he had him from amateurs, uh, from the amateur to pros. So I don't think that, you know, he's going to just dismiss himself uh, in that sense, maybe just playing a different role in the training camp. But, uh, you know, all of these things are just uh, are just something to keep us talking about that second fight and how uh, how exciting it was, how one-sided it was, and how it showed. Uh, you know, it showed a little bit from both fighters. It showed Deontay being a bit vulnerable, and it showed Tyson Fury being a bit aggressive. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, it makes for a more exciting third fight because obviously he's uh, stating that he had some problems and things weren't things weren't the way they were supposed to be, mm -hmm. and uh, now he seems to be in a, a totally uh, excellent place where things are going the way he wants them to go. And uh, I just hope it's, uh, uh, you know, all the training and things that he's done, mm -hmm. I hope it's rewarding for him and having him to come into the ring with lots of confidence on Saturday is what I want. Great. Um, Tyson Fear actually said a few days ago that he thinks that Deontay Wilder I guess you can recognize that Deontay Wilder has some, or is battling some mental health issues. Uh, would you agree with that? Uh, I'm no doctor. I'm just Sugar Hill. But I do plan on getting me a doctorate, <laughs> getting a doctorate from uh, Florida A&M. Uh, when the time is right, they can give me a, make me an honorary doctorate. Then I'll be a doctor to answer that question. Okay. <laughs> all right, Sugar, thank you so much for your time. Um, I wish you guys all the best on Saturday night. Any final words? Uh, just <laughs> Sugar. Hey, Fight fans, it's Michelle Joy Phelps. Make sure you subscribe to my YouTube channel by clicking this icon right here and hit the bell button below so that you can receive an alert every time we upload a new video. Keys to victory for the Tyson Fury-Deontay Wilder trilogy fight. Now, back in March 2020, as you can see here, I made this video. This was very shortly after their second fight and also very shortly after Deontay Wilder's team exercised the rematch clause for this trilogy match. Now, in this video, I spoke about possible tactics that Deontay Wilder could use for the third fight. And I mentioned the prospect of Deontay Wilder maybe boxing on the back foot, trying to mess Tyson Fury about, because what he attempted to do in the second fight, which was what he tr tried to do in the first fight, and that is come forward and impose himself on Tyson Fury and get the knockout, that backfired in spectacular fashion in the rematch. Therefore, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But if it is broke, then you need to fix it. You need to change stuff. So in this video, I'm just going to play a few seconds of it. I talked about how he could change certain things. Maybe not to win the fight because it's possible that there's no way he can win the fight. All right. But it's also possible that if he's not going to win, perhaps just do better than he did second time around. So I talk about this here. Let me just play a few seconds. And perhaps Deontay Wilder will use his legs a bit more. Box on the back foot, move around. Now, he's obviously not very graceful. He's not very well coordinated. 
So you wouldn't have thought that type of strategy would be tremendously effective against Tyson Fury, but he might be able to make it a bit awkward for him if he decided to do that, move around. And remember Tyson Fury at 273 pounds, he might weigh the same amount next time. You can outmaneuver a guy that size. I don't care how good Tyson Fury is. If you're small enough and Deontay Wilder is a small heavyweight, he's tall and he's rangy, but he's small. He doesn't weigh much. So if he comes into the third fight, maybe around 215, definitely under 220, he might have the ability to just mess Tyson Fury around a little bit, run away from him, do what he criticized Anthony Joshua for doing against Andy Ruiz, and maybe stretch the fight out into the later rounds, maybe try and frustrate Tyson Fury boxing that way. So that's what I mentioned back in March 2020. I want to expand on that a little bit and also maybe amend it slightly. Now, Deontay Wilder in the second fight was swimming against the current because he had a guy in front of him whose arms were even longer than his, who was physically bigger than him, and who was imposing his size and imposing his jab. And that's one of the keys to victory for Tyson Fury is his jab. Deontay Wilder, believe it or not, actually managed to match Tyson Fury for jabs, I think through the first two rounds of their second fight. But after that, particularly with the rough stuff on the inside and Tyson Fury just being more consistent, and Tyson Fury's jab was harder than Deontay Wilder's jab. It was knocking Deontay Wilder back. Wilder just couldn't get his body weight forward. In the first fight, because Tyson Fury was moving around, Wilder was able to get a lot more power on the jab, getting his weight forward, getting his momentum into it. But Tyson Fury took all that away by landing his jab more consistently and really forcing Deontay Wilder back. Deontay, rather than going with the flow, he was trying to swim against the stream. He was trying to swim against the current. And if you're in a river and you're you know, trying to stop yourself from drowning or trying to stop yourself from being swept out to sea, the worst thing you can do is turn your back to the direction of the sea and start trying to swim up current, isn't it? Because you're not going to see the hazards that are coming. Big boulders, jagged rocks, maybe a waterfall. Not only are you not going to see the hazards, but it's not going to work, right? You're trying to swim against the current. The current's too strong. Like Tyson Fury was too strong for Deontay Wilder in that second fight. You're also going to miss the opportunities if you're trying to swim against the current. Opportunities like low-hanging branches or maybe a bottleneck in the river where you might be able to get to shore because the objective is the same. Regardless of whether you're swimming against the current or with the current, your objective is to try and get on dry land so you don't drown. But in virtually every situation, you're better off going with the current in order to meet your objective, to get to dry land and prevent yourself from drowning. Once you're facing in the direction of the sea, you can see the hazards, the obstacles, but also the opportunities coming a long way off. Whereas when you've got your back to the sea and you're trying to swim up current, you're missing everything, okay? This is what Deontay Wilder was doing against Tyson Fury in the rematch, trying to swim against the tide. In this trilogy fight, he needs to change his mentality. Rather than trying to force something that's just not happening, go with the flow. If Tyson Fury wants to push you back, let him push you back. In fact, emphasize that. Move around the ring. Get Tyson Fury to maybe overcommit and overextend and frustrate him. You see? Now, I'm going to give you an example of what I'm talking about here. 
This is a fight from 2004 between Vladimir Klitschko and Devaro William, Williamson. Now, Devaro Williamson was a similar kind of fighter to Deontay Wilder, a bit technically better, but a tall, skinny heavyweight with a big right hand. And against Vladimir Klitschko here, who was with Manny Stewart by this point, this was the fight after the Lamont Brewster fight, right? The first fight with Brewster where he lost. So he'd been with Stewart for a few fights. He was developing that Kronk style and he was on the front foot. Similar to Tyson Fury when he fought Deontay Wilder a second time, Vladimir Klitschko was on the front foot walking Devaro Williamson down with a jab. But unlike Deontay Wilder, Williamson wasn't trying to swim against the current. Williamson was going with the flow. He was allowing Klitschko. He wasn't trying to push back. He was allowing Klitschko to be the aggressor, and he was moving around the ring, moving around the ring, and he was waiting for an opportunity where Klitschko would maybe get a little frustrated and overcommit with a right hand, or overreach with it, leave himself vulnerable defensively, and then he would trigger his own right hand and capitalize. And that's exactly what happened in this fourth round. I'm not going to play the clip, but that's exactly what happened in the fourth round. Vladimir Klitschko threw the right hand from just slightly the wrong range and slightly the wrong angle, Devaro Williamson exploded with his own right hand countering and down went Vladimir Klitschko. Now Klitschko got up to win the fight, but it was a moment of anxiety, certainly for Klitschko. And it's the kind of thing that Deontay Wilder and his team should be looking to do, in my opinion, against Tyson Fury from a strategic standpoint. Rather than, again, swimming against the, the current, go with the flow and get, take what Tyson Fury gives you. If he's being aggressive, try and use his aggression against him. And if Tyson Fury does decide to try and box, then obviously Deontay Wilder can go forward and try and land some big shots, particularly with Tyson Fury apparently being at least 270, maybe 290 for this trilogy fight. Is he really going to be as slick as he was when he was in the 250s? Maybe he will, right? He shocked me with the way he boxed uh, so well on the front foot in the 270s last time out. Maybe he'll shock me boxing on the back foot in the 290s. Tyson Fury really is a bag of surprises, but I certainly would be very surprised if Tyson Fury can be as slick and maneuver himself as well at 290 on the back foot the way he can in the 250s or even the low 260s. So yeah, I think Deontay needs to take what Tyson Fury gives him, stop trying to force it, and the mindset that they seem to have got Deontay Wilder in. You know, I spoke about Wilder, uh, being like Dumbo, you know, the Disney cartoon character. And I use this comparison because Wilder has a very childish mind. Okay, his emotional and mental state is very childish. But with uh, Dumbo, he had this magic feather that he, he was given. And they made Dumbo believe that this magic feather allowed him to fly. The reality is he could fly all along without the magic feather. But he needed the magic feather to give him the confidence. He needed something that he felt was greater than himself to put confidence in to allow him to fly, right? With Deontay Wilder, they've, his feather is this fantasy they've concocted for him, that Tyson Fury cheated and all this kind of stuff. And I say concocted for him because if you think back, it wasn't actually Deontay Wilder that originally started coming out with this stuff. It was his brother Marcellus and other people in his team that started putting all that nonsense out. And then they've sold this to Deontay. He, he very rarely comes up with ideas himself, Deontay. It's other people putting these ideas in his head. Yeah, they've given him this magic feather and he's holding on to it for dear life. <laughs> and that's why he appears to be so calm at the moment because he truly believes in this magic feather that he's got. So 
the calmness is going to help him take what Tyson Fury gives him by way of opportunities. If Tyson Fury wants to force the fight, push you on the back foot, okay, move around. You know, go backwards faster than Tyson Fury's coming forwards. That way, Tyson Fury's going to have to overextend and reach at you with his punches. And that's going to give you an opportunity to hit him with shots. And Deontay Wilder has caught people coming in before. Luis Ortiz, in the first fight, he caught him coming. And I think the first knockdown was from a situation like that, where Ortiz had backed Wilder up to the ropes. And Wilder came with a right hand when Ortiz overcommitted. And that started a sequence of events where Ortiz ended up on the canvas. Artis Spilka was another good example. Deontay Wilder was losing that fight. <laughs> and it wasn't until Spilka got over-aggressive, pushed Deontay Wilder back to the ropes, that's when Wilder managed to walk him onto a right hand. So Wilder does have a history of being able to walk people onto shots who get over-aggressive with him. You know, they overcommit and he hits him with that big right hand. I mean, even uh, Dominic Brazil in that first round, he knocked Dominic Brazil out when they were in the middle of the ring. But if you remember, uh, Brazil backed him into a corner. Wilder that is, he backed Wilder into a corner. He hurt Wilder, but then Wilder came back with a shot and backed Brazil off. In fact, I think that happened even prior to that. It happened a few times. It was a wild first round, that fight. But yeah, that's my take on Deontay Wilder and what he needs to do. As far as his jab, he was jabbing with Tyson Fury in the first fight very well, but that's because Fury's jab wasn't as powerful as this, it was in the second fight. In the second fight, Fury's jab was more consistent. It proved to be more powerful. So Wilder was jabbing with him for like a couple rounds. After that, he just couldn't keep up. So the key to try to avoid Tyson Fury's jab is to move your head. Now, it's more difficult to teach a guy to move his head in a short space of time than it is to move his feet. Moving your feet is easier. So preferably what Deontay Wilder needs to do if he can't master the head movement of slipping jabs is just stay out of range as much as you can, as I've already explained, and get Tyson Fury to overcommit and then you come in with a shot Devarrell Williamson style, excuse me. Uh, if he does have the ability to learn very quickly, then yeah, try and slip some jabs. Because when you slip a jab, it's not just you avoiding being hit, it's also you putting doubt in the mind of your opponent. Once you can make your opponent miss the shots that he's really trying to commit to and throw, he starts to feel vulnerable. Well, if I'm missing this shot, it's just a matter of time before I get counted with a right hand. You see? And then they start getting more tentative with their jab. And they have to start thinking more about what they're doing and doing more thinking and less punching. And that gives Deontay Wilder time to actually implement what he wants to do. You see? So, like I say, key to victory for Wilder, don't swim against the tide, go with the flow, take what Tyson Fury gives you, stay out of range of his jab. If you're not able to slip it, just stay out of range. If Tyson Fury decides to box on the back foot, absolutely you can go for it. So that's the keys to victory, at least from my perspective, for Deontay Wilder in this trilogy fight. Now, for Tyson Fury, the keys to victory for him are to frustrate Deontay Wilder. Deontay is a very emotional character. And because he's an emotional character, that can work for him in some instances, but it can also work against him. Because when the red mist descends, he's no longer thinking logically. And I mean, <laughs> here's me mentioning logic and rational thinking in the same sentence as Deontay Wilder. It's a bit absurd, but <laughs> there you go. Whatever tiny semblance of logic 
the rational thinking he has will evaporate once the red mist descends. So you want that red mist to descend. And Tyson Fury knows this. He's been trying to wind Deontay Wilder up in the build-up to this fight, certainly at the press conference or what have you. I'm sure that's going to continue. So you need to also continue that in the ring. Wind Wilder up, gold him. He was doing it in the first fight as well. Sticking his tongue out and doing all this kind of stuff because he knows he has an emotional guy in front of him. And if he can get him to, uh, you know, get carried away with his emotions, it plays into Tyson Fury's hands. He can feed off that energy and he can draw more mistakes from an emotional guy who's so angry and just wants to get him. And Wilder's also burning up energy if Tyson Fury can do that. Now, in the first fight, he, frustrate, he got Deontay Wilder frustrated by being elusive, yeah, by moving his head, you know, nice boxing on the back foot in the middle of the ring, lots of jabs and all this kind of stuff. And Wilder just couldn't land his big power shot, so he was very frustrated. In the second fight, he did both. He was elusive, but because he was so aggressive, his, his offense became more of his defense. I mean, he was, you know, backstepping and all that kind of stuff very well when Deontay Wilder was shaping up to fight a right hand. But Tyson Fury put Deontay Wilder on the defensive to such a degree that, he, you know, the, the right hand was nullified. And Deontay was very frustrated because he couldn't come forward. He wanted to come forward, but he couldn't. You see, and that's where the frustration sets in. If he hadn't been so frustrated, then maybe he would have thought, okay, let me adjust something here. Let me start moving my head away from the jab. Maybe I'll stay out of range of the jab, use my legs a little bit. But there was none of that because he was too emotionally invested in what he wanted to do. His whole training camp had been about that. You know, all his fans telling him that he's this destructive puncher and he'd knock out a prime Mike Tyson, all this nonsense. This is what was swirling around in Deontay Wilder's tiny mind. <laughs> during that second fight, okay? And again, Tyson Fury needs to keep him in that state. So whether it's on the front foot or in the back foot, Tyson Fury needs to keep his man frustrated, yeah? And obviously, nothing succeeds like success. So the better Tyson Fury is doing with his jab, the jab will be key. It was certainly key in the second fight, I would say even more so than the first fight. Because with that jab being longer than Deontay Wilder's jab, it's hitting Deontay before he can either land his own jab or get the right hand off. You see? So that, that jab nullifies. Deontay has to reset every time he gets hit with that jab. So if Deontay is not slipping that and he's not staying out of range with that, then obviously Tyson Fury needs to keep concentrating on the jab. It's going to set all his other offense up. And the body punches in the first fight were also very, very good for Tyson Fury. He dropped Deontay Wilder with a body shot being very physical with him in the clinches. And also, if Tyson Fury does, despite his high weight, decide to box a little bit in this fight, he needs to still go to the body and he needs to still be rough in the clinches. I'm not saying be illegal, but just be rough and be physical in the clinches because that took a lot out of Deontay. Deontay's talking about his suit being too heavy and his drink being spiked and all this other, non this other nonsense. The reality is he was in there with a very big, physically strong man who imposed himself on Deontay Wilder. And Wilder's not used to that. He's not used to a guy the size of Tyson Fury imposing himself physically on him like that. It's draining. You know, I see some people talk about uh, clinching and boxing. Oh, why is he letting this guy clinch him? Why is he letting the other? It's his own fault for allowing the guy to, guy to clinch him. These are people that haven't been in a boxing ring. 
<laughs> and actually fought anybody. Because when you're in there with someone who's bigger and stronger than you, trying to stop them from clinching you is easier said than done. And when they do start clinching you, and there's nothing you can do about it because they've got the technique down pat and they're very big and strong, it wears you out very, very quickly. You see? And that's what happened to Deontay against Tyson Fury. He got worn out. I don't want to say as much by the rough stuff on the inside, but it certainly contributed a lot to Deontay Wilder's deteriorating condition. As, not as much as the punches, but, you know, definitely a significant amount because he's just not used to that uh, bodily contact with somebody so big, imposing themselves on him. So I think that's another key for Tyson Fury. Now, what I'm expecting in this fight is Deontay to be better mentally prepared than he was a second time around because he knows Tyson Fury can impose himself. He knows Tyson Fury can box on the back foot. So he's under no illusions. Into, he's under plenty of illusions, but in terms of what Tyson Fury can actually do style-wise and strength-wise, he might think that he had egg weights in his gloves and all this kind of rubbish, and that's what knocked off his equilibrium or whatever, but he knows Tyson Fury has the, uh, the, the confidence to come forward. He knows Tyson Fury's got a good jab on the front foot. He knows he's physically strong on the inside. You know? He knows these things. The element of surprise, as many people are saying, has gone for Deontay Wilder. He was so shocked by Tyson Fury's tactics in that second fight, as I was, uh, that he remained in a state of shock. <laughs> he was totally perplexed throughout that fight. Uh, even by the end, remember that image of Deontay kind of glassy-eyed and the referee stepping in to stop it and Deontay kind of lurched forward? <laughs> you remember his face? He was still in a state of shock at that point. <laughs> so, yeah, Deontay is going to be, I think, better prepared for what Tyson Fury can bring. Uh, Tyson Fury, I think, is going to have to go longer in this fight. I'm not going to reveal my prediction now. Maybe I'll save it for uh, one of the videos I'm going to do tomorrow. But Tyson Fury, I think, is going to have to go a bit longer than he did last time out. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he smashes him to pieces early, but I I'm anticipating a longer fight. And I've been saying this since last year, that I think it will go longer. Since this rematch was initially announced for last year, I was saying, ah, I think this fight's going to carry on. Was In fact, no, was it announced for last year? It was, well, yeah, because they were negotiating the undisputed fight for ages. Um, I forget how it went. It's all a blur this past 18 months. Anyway, let me know what you guys think in the comments below about the keys to victory for Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder. What do you think Deontay Wilder needs to do? Do you think what I'm saying about him messing Tyson Fury around, Devara Williamson style, moving around the ring and going with the flow rather than trying to swim against the current? Do you think that's a good idea? Do you think that's what he will do? Or do you think that's just antithetical to his nature because he's such an aggressive character that there's no way he'll try and move around because he criticized Anthony Joshua for doing that, right? In the Andy Ruiz rematch, is he really going to make a hypocrite of himself and attempt to do that himself? You guys let me know what you think in the comments below. And as for Tyson Fury, what are you expecting from him? How do you think he should approach this fight? Should he, as I keep saying, try to frustrate Wilder? So just to clarify that point, I'm saying whatever Wilder wants to do, Tyson Fury needs to do the opposite. If Wilder is happy moving backwards, 
Tyson Fury needs to not go forwards. He needs to say, you know what? I'm going to move backwards, Deontay. <laughs> he needs to literally do the opposite of whatever Deontay wants to do. Yeah? And you could say something similar for Deontay Wilder, but for him, it's less about trying to... Well, no, it is about trying to frustrate Fury, but it's more about trying to get the mistakes from a stylistic and tactical point of view. Yeah? Uh, Tyson Fury is more in control of his emotions than Deontay Wilder. With Wilder, it's really about trying to frustrate him and get him angry. Whereas with Fury, it's trying to get Fury maybe overconfident, to get Fury to be maybe a little bit lackadaisical, you know? Yeah, you're frustrating him, but Fury's not really angry that much in the ring. Sometimes he used to be back in the days angry, but for the most part, he's a very calm character in the ring, <laughs> you know? And he's usually got one up on you. So anyway, let me know what you guys think about everything I've discussed in this video. Come and join me on Patreon and access my weekly no holds barred censorship-free podcast where we lift the lid on a wide range of controversial topics. It's not mainstream friendly, it's not politically correct, but that's the whole point. We dare to stand as a beacon of reason against an army of insanity. Just head on over to my Patreon page and select the tier called Hatman Hot Topics. You'll gain access to a minimum of two hours of exclusive content every single week, including podcasts, videos, interviews, live stream Q&A sessions, as well as my popular Confessions of a Nightclub Bouncer series. Not to mention a vast back catalog of hundreds of hours of previous episodes. You can listen via the Patreon app with the option to download in high quality MP3. We've also got a Discord server where you can come and chat and hang out with myself and other members. There's no contract, no commitment, and you can cancel at any time. So come and join our community of free and critical thinkers by signing up with me here on Patreon today.